Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today we have on a guest who is probably one of the most wanted men in America, (laughs) in a good way, Um, because his book that was originally um, released earlier, um, a little bit earlier, actually, uh, has now just had a fortunate, a fortuitous event happen. Um, that makes his book even more, that much more relevant and compelling for right now. The name of my guest is Ryan Lovelace. The name of the book is Search and Destroy, Inside the Campaign Against Brett Kavanaugh. Now, we all know about Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, um, who gave testimony, I'm putting testimony in single quotes, uh, for the Senate about how he allegedly sexually abused her, uh, attempted to rape her, is what she said. Uh, and now we have, according to the New York Times, in a report that was recently um, uh, apologized for or acknowledged as not being all true, is a new alleged uh, <laughs> claimant, Deborah Ramirez. And so um, that was good timing, Ryan. I must say, um, this was. Uh, did you did you have anything to do <laughs> with Deborah Ramirez coming out and accusing uh, Brett Kavanaugh right on the eve of your book? I certainly did not. <laughs> the uh, okay. you know, these latest these latest rumors really. Um, you know, I'm not even sure we can quite call them allegations. That's one of the things that I've been wondering as a reporter, because, you know, the pattern right. between these these stories coming from The New York Times about these uh, latest accusers, in both cases, the alleged victims are saying they either don't remember it or they're telling their friends that they don't remember it. You know, with Deborah Ramirez's story that first kind of came out uh, last year, it took her six days of consulting with an attorney to and remember her memories enough to then pass them on to other folks. And now with this newest New York Times story that's an excerpt from a forthcoming book from two women of the New York Times, that one, the alleged victim, is refusing for more than a year now to confirm that she is in fact a victim and is apparently actively telling friends that she wasn't victimized at all by Brett Kavanaugh. So really this boils down to it being rumors, and it's kind of part of this larger process of search and destroy that I think we saw unfold last fall. Yes, absolutely, and of course, totally politically motivated. Let me just properly introduce you. Um, Ryan Lovelace is not only the author of this new book, Search and Destroy, Inside the Campaign Against Brett Kavanaugh, but he is also... um, He covers legal news in Washington as the D.C. Business of Law reporter at the National Law Journal, American Lawyer, and ALM Media. Um, So if anybody knows what's going on inside Washington, it should be you. (laughs) So let's let's go back in time a little bit. I mean, well, first of all, what made you, after after the, the hearings, what made you decide, you know, what compelled you so much about what happened? 
that you decided to do all of this research um, and write a book about it. Well, really, I think it was that there were so many basic journalistic questions that were left unanswered after the confirmation hearings ended that no one in my line of work really had much of an interest in getting into. Now, I think the Believe the Woman narrative that took root in the Me Too environment last year led reporters to not ask skeptical questions. But when the primary accuser of Brett Kavanaugh first came forward, Christine Blasey Ford, you know, the questions of what, where, and when were difficult questions to answer. Christine Blasey Ford says and testified to that she can't remember exactly when this happened, the alleged assault. She can't say precisely where it happened. And she is still to this day the only person who's ever been able to say what happened because everyone else that she has pointed to has either been unable to corroborate her claim or they've said it didn't happen. So for me, I really wanted to get to the why is this happening and how is it happening. And Christine Blasey Ford said that her why, the reason why she was bringing this forward, was all about her civic duty. And her attorney said that she was ambivalent about coming forward in this matter. But as I spent months researching and reporting this book out, one of the things that I discovered and uncovered in looking through Deborah Katz, Christine Blasey Ford's attorney, her private emails to Senate Democrats, Senate Republicans, her public and private talks, I heard her say that Christine Blasey Ford was motivated in part by Roe versus Wade, the right to obtain an abortion, and that, that was a part of a desire to put an asterisk next to Justice Kavanaugh's name. And I thought that was particularly important because it contradicted Christine Blasey Ford's testimony and everything they had been saying at this time last year. Yes, absolutely. They were saying it had nothing to do with politics or nothing to do with Roe v. Wade. It was uh, wanting to see justice. You know, men shouldn't be put on the Supreme Court if they are sexual predators. Well, first of all, you know, this whole idea, I don't know um, uh, whether, how much you talk about this or if you talk about this in your book, but to me, you know, even, okay, granted, if he was trying to, if, if it happened and if he was trying to rape her, okay, but I don't think it did happen. I'll give you my idea on that in a second, but but like this latest accusation or, you know, whatever we want to call it from Deborah Ramirez, where they were at a party, a drunken party, she was drunk, and somebody, um, he took down his pants and somebody pushed his penis in her face. I mean, it wasn't even that he um, pushed his own penis in her face. It was, you know, something that might happen at a drunken party. I mean, the thing is that um, if we, if no man could hold public office, and I know this sounds um, very, you know, anti-feminism, but if no man could have hold public office, if they were ever drunk at a party and, um, you know, they mooned somebody or something sexual happened again, not rape, but but there's no proof that that happened, that rape happened, um, you know, we wouldn't have any men in public office. I mean, people do these kinds of things when they're teenagers or, um, or young and, and in college drunken parties. And I think, you know, that's all part of mobilizing the, the Me Too movement for this particular moment to go after Judge Kavanaugh. Now, to be sure, the left was going to go after whoever President Trump had picked, you know, Demand Justice, the far-left dark money group that formed just before Justice Kennedy retired, said when the vacancy came to be that they would spend $5 million opposing whoever it was. But really, it was an, an unusual moment for the Me Too moment to kind of take hold here and really attack some of these, um, you know, basic norms that have existed for so long that were kind of cast aside at the time of Judge Kavanaugh's nomination. 
You know, if we think back to the first two years of the Trump's administration, President Trump's administration, with Justice Gorsuch, they said, the left said, he sits in a stolen seat. It's a seat that belongs to Merrick Garland, President Obama's pick for the seat that the Senate rejected. And now mm-hmm. with Justice Kavanaugh, mm-hmm. they're saying they want an asterisk next to his name. And I think all of that is about undermining the legitimacy and authority of the court. And it speaks to those attacks that you're describing. If they can make the American people believe that this court does not have legitimacy, then maybe there'll be open ideas from far left Democratic candidates talking in the 2020 election about expanding the Supreme Court. And maybe lower court judges will feel more emboldened to ignore the rules and, uh, and, and rulings from the Supreme Court with regards to nationwide injunctions and just issue those um, more frequently than they have already in the past. Yes, and you know, the, the whole process of, I mean, you certainly uh, can appreciate this, and you, I'm sure you probably even write about this, about the idea, and what you, kind of what you're saying, that the idea that somebody, even if it had nothing to do um, with politics per se, let's say, let's say it wasn't that, I mean, we know it was, but let's just say, the idea that anybody could go um, in front of the Senate or could go on television and say, uh, accuse somebody of, of sexual assault um, without proof and have everybody, especially like the Senate, especially Congress, I mean, you know, that takes away the need for courts and judges to begin with. It, 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 you know, I testify at a lot of, I have testified and I still testify at a lot of, um, sexual harassment or sexual assault or rape, all those kinds of cases. And these are long trials. I mean, this, each side puts on evidence. Um, it's not like you just go and sit down in front of the court and you say, listen, this guy did this to me, and everybody says, oh, okay, and then they, you know, they convict him. Right, right. And, and you know, one of the things that was so interesting about all of this, too, was they knew all of that. And they knew, the left knew, and in particular, Christine Blasey Ford's attorney, Deborah Katz, has said that, you know, they're looking to litigate this in the court of public opinion, not a court of law. What she exactly said was she doesn't just look to the law when she has clients like this. She has to have a press strategy, a legislative strategy, and she utilizes organized forces that mainly come from the nonprofit realm to accomplish what her client's intended outcome here is. And here mm. it was a political mm. agenda. You know, it was a political outcome. And for that reason, everything that folks saw on TV was in many ways stage managed at the time. You know, one of the things that I as a reporter mm-hmm. was privy to that folks outside the hearings were not was this group called Megaphone Strategies. They're a social justice PR firm here in town founded by Van Jones. And I'm sure people remember those protesters standing up and screaming and yelling and getting hauled out by police officers. And every time Capitol Police hauled one of them out last year, this PR firm, Megaphone Strategies, would email reporters and say, now the arrest total is this high. Would you like to talk to this celebrity actress who's been arrested? Because it wasn't organic. It was about creating a sense of chaos and making sure that it showed up mm. in everything that you saw on TV and in news reports afterward. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, well, you know, talking about what happened to um, Christine Blasey Ford, my theory at the time, and I still believe this, I don't know if, uh, if you have any additional information about it, but I think one of the reasons why she was so believed by so many, um, besides all the PR and, and, uh, and this coming, you know, fitting right into the Me Too movement and all of that, is because I think maybe she was sexually 
abused or assaulted at some time by somebody, not Brett Kavanaugh, but her father, an uncle, a stranger, I don't know. There was something that kind of rang true about the idea of being sexually assaulted. It just didn't, there was just no, was no evidence that it was Brett Kavanaugh. What do you think about that? Well, I think that's something we've heard a lot of folks question, you know, that there could have been something else that went on there. And I really think with Christine Blasey Ford, one of the things that was so interesting to me was, um, you know, the way in which her allegations sort of traded up the chain. You know, she attempted to, at first, go to the Washington Post in July to try to kind of, um, you know, get attention for allegations. And when the Post turned her down, um, you know, then she said, threatened to go to the New York Times or to senators, and she later testified that she you know, was advised by beach friends to do so. But that's one of the things that I really try to get at in the book is to provide information, not affirmation that you're hearing from all these other stories out there right now. And so I published in the back of the book, you know, the, the full encrypted messages she sent to the Post and the private emails of the folks involved in all mm. of this. And I, and I really tried to get at that to show how this moved through the press. You know, so many in the press didn't feel the you know, uh, they had to ask skeptical questions because of the believe the woman narrative. And I think to your point about why she was believed perhaps more than others, also because of the skillful strategy that uh, her lawyers uh, undertook. You know, if we think back, Christine Blasey Ford never appeared on camera without being flanked by her lawyers. And she still to this day has not faced an adversarial question. Senate Democrats asked her sympathetic questions. Rachel Mitchell, the sex crimes prosecutor, she asked probing questions, but they were much more like a deposition than a cross-examination. Now, take, for mm. example, as a, as a counterweight to that, one of the things that Senate Republicans have pointed me toward um, as a big unifying moment for them was Michael Avenatti and him bringing forward Julie Swetnick with the accuser of wild teenage gang rape parties. Now, beyond Avenatti's antics, he put his accuser, Julie Swetnick, on national television alone, by herself, facing an adversarial journalist who asked questions that were much more like a cross-examination, and she didn't feel the pressure to believe the woman and could say, I'm just doing my job, in a way that others in the Senate, where it was more political, weren't able to do. And Julie Swetnick's allegations crumbled immediately, and Christine Blasey Ford was able to sort of have hers trade up the train through a compliant press and then appear before the Senate before anyone ever bothered looking into them. Mm-hmm. Mhm. Yeah, I mean the whole thing. Avenatti seems to be to have been doing all kinds of things to try to get his political beliefs and aspirations across that all seem to fizzle. Um, so, so what impact have you been? Uh, have you have you sent your book um, to Brett Kavanaugh? Have you gotten any feedback? I haven't gotten any feedback from him directly on it just yet, and I think we'll hear him for the first time speak publicly next month. He's scheduled to speak at a Federalist Society event here in Washington. Thus far, since he's been on the court, the only comments he's made publicly was actually at a circuit court conference in the Midwest. And when he was there, the thing that he was saying that stood out most to me was that when he's working on the court now and deciding a case or figuring out what he's going to be doing, he thinks, what would Justice Kennedy do? And it was interesting to me that that's something that weighs on his mind, is what Justice Kennedy would be doing if he were still in the court, and perhaps more so mm. than some of these other things. But now, in light of all these new accusations and crazy rumors and things like that, I wonder precisely what he's going to talk about next month. It's certainly going to be interesting to hear whether he'll share any of the personal things he's gone through. You know, I know there's so much that 
I think folks outside of Washington weren't really privy to at the time. You know, Senator Susan Collins, who is pro-choice, really was facing a lot of scrutiny even before the accusations emerged against Justice Kavanaugh. You know, he before she even decided that what she was going to be doing about his nomination, Senator Collins got thousands of coat hangers mailed to her office on the issue of abortion. Oh. And her her husband and their dog were actually quarantined in their family's home at one point because people were mailing letters with weird substances in them that law enforcement couldn't determine. She was followed home. She was chased around by protesters. And there's still some ongoing you know, litigation about all of this in the courts. And I think that the kind of full-scale attack on so many of these people that were supposed to be doing the due diligence of advice and consent, um, you know, really came under attack from the search and destroy efforts of the left. And it hasn't really been fully made public before, but I think it needs to. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. (laughs) It's, uh, you can never underestimate, um, you know, what, how how um, enraged and crazy some people can get. Um, you know, what, I mean, this. That I will say, I, I'm pro-choice, and um, I will say, of course, I'm concerned that uh, that you know that at some point um, Roe v. Wade might be overturned, but that doesn't change. Uh, that doesn't change my opinion in terms of how I think that all of this was a railroading job and, and outrageous. Um, I mean, I just, you know, I, I was, as I actually gave her testimony, I, I of course was looking at her as, as a psychiatrist, you know, trying to understand who she was. She certainly, I mean, part of the thing, it really, she really did unravel in a lot of ways, even though she, these were softball questions. I mean, she lied. There were so many things that she lied about from not taking planes to never being in some place before to, I mean, why is this, people seem to just um, gloss over that? Right, right. And there were so many different times at which things that she had said and testified to contradicted things that she'd previously said, whether she'd told them to reporters or written them herself in her private letter to Senator Feinstein. And I think so many of those things have not ever been examined. And I tried to spell that out in Search and Destroy and explain to people precisely how and when they changed and so they could learn some of the things that I learned. And, you know, one of the most interesting things mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, she testified to but was contradicted in many ways by her own actions was that this was all about her civic duty. You know, when I noticed that the, the blog The Intercept picked it up and said there's an allegation alleging an incident, and at that point we didn't know what the incident was and who was making the allegation. Earlier that day, uh, Christine Blasey Ford's attorney, Deborah Katz, was testifying in the House and said, you know, the Washington Post just doesn't care anymore unless you rape 80 people. It's the Weinstein effect. It just doesn't matter to them anymore. And then later when we learned Mm. that actually Christine Blasey Ford had been trying to reach the Washington Post, that comment made a little bit more sense to me. And then by Uh the next day, you know, Senator Feinstein came forward and said, oh, yeah, I've heard about this. And now I've referred it on to law enforcement. That confirmed it. And it allowed people like me, reporters in the national press, to ignore the truth or falsity of the matter and simply go, does this help him? Does this hurt him? Cable news did the same and only amplified it further. And I think that's really one of the you know, key points about all of this is if folks understood the way this traded up the chain through the media online, they'd understand quite what you know, Judge Kavanaugh was facing that Supreme Court nominees hadn't before. You know, Justice Thomas obviously faced 
a lot of invective. And at the time, you know, cable news didn't exist and social media and online media didn't exist. And now whoever comes next, if there is another vacancy, especially before the 2020 election, it's only going to be that much worse and that much more strident. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you get into, um, one of the things I thought was interesting was about how she first uh, relayed this information um, about Brett Kavanaugh to her therapist all these years later. I mean, supposedly did. And yet her therapist wouldn't release her notes or something, um, which, I mean, of course, you're not allowed to release notes um, un- unless the patient gives you permission, but which she obviously didn't do. Um, but what do you think about all that? Right. Well, I know that in 2012 was when she first spoke to the therapist about um, all of this matter. And interestingly, in 2012, around the exact same time was when Brett Kavanaugh's name was first being discussed as a potential Supreme Court justice. The New Yorker's legal affairs mm-hmm. reporter wrote a big story for them about how if Mitt Romney, then the GOP nominee, defeated Obama in 2012, he, his first pick, should he have the opportunity for the Supreme Court, would be Brett Kavanaugh. But I think it's also huh. interesting that Christine Blasey Ford and her team shared those therapist notes with the Washington Post, but not with the Judiciary Committee. Now, that fits a pattern for me and what I was able to reveal in Search and Destroy. One of the things that so many people wanted to know was, why didn't Senate Republicans have this sooner? Why did Senator Feinstein sit on this allegation? And what I uncovered was the email that Christine Blasey Ford's attorney, Deborah Katz, sent to Senator Feinstein's staff, authorizing them to share it. And at the point at which the Ford team authorized Feinstein's staff to share that letter with the full Judiciary Committee with Republicans. Katz had already gone on CNN. Christine Blasey Ford had already outed herself in the Washington Post. And Katz had also spoken with me as a reporter, had messaged me as a reporter to talk about it as well. So they were going to the press before going to the committee, the people responsible for vetting Mm -hmm. the nominee, before going to the White House, who were supposed to pick the nominee, which really raised some questions for me about what the actual motivation was here all along. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, now that you're reminding me, um, but, but she, I mean, I don't remember how many notes that, and why, so I guess the, I guess he did give the therapist permission to at least release some notes, but wasn't it, uh, but there was nothing really that, that implicated Kavanaugh. Could you, why don't you remind us all of that? <laughs> in terms of what, what particularly the, was in the therapist notes, or? Yes, what, right, what did that, um, it wasn't. It wasn't uh, damning of him. I mean, it wasn't conclusive that he did anything. Right, and so one of the things that she testified to was that even in those, you know, when she was remembering this in therapy and having a recollection, she doesn't. She never testified to the fact that she actually ever said Brett Kavanaugh's name in therapy. She said her husband remembered it, um, which is interesting too because she didn't feel comfortable saying under oath that she said his name in therapy, which is interesting because of so many other contradictions she was willing to make. That was one that she wasn't. And it's, I had a lot of questions about that, whether that's because in those therapist notes, they might say something that differs. But, you know, curiously, mm. that's something that she still hasn't been willing to share with the Judiciary Committee, with anyone else investigating this. And, you know, you would think with the nature of a full-scale investigation that this underwent and that, you know, her legal team was saying she wanted, she would do so. You know, with Brett Kavanaugh, he had been through 
six investigations by the FBI, background investigations in the previous 25 years. And he's a well-known commodity mm-hmm. in Washington. You know, he'd been a Supreme Court clerk. He'd been a judge on a D.C. Federal Court of Appeals for a decade. He'd worked at some of the biggest firms in town. He grew up here, went to high school here. He worked in the Bush White House on judicial nominations, so perhaps understood this better than any of the other sitting justices, worked on the chief justice's nomination himself. And now, having gone through all of that, and working opposite the Clinton administration on the Starr investigation into the Lewinsky scandal, he made a lot of enemies. And I think he made a lot of enemies in Washington. And for some of the same reasons that the President Trump's White House was interested in selecting him, because he had those connections, and they thought it might make things smoother in the short run-up to the next Supreme Court term, in some ways it sort of backfired mm-hmm. because there were so many enemies that were ready to mobilize against him. Hmm. Well, you know, I thought that that was super interesting that it came up in in couples therapy, because many times times in couples therapy, when couples are having problems, especially sexual problems, the the woman will say, I mean, you know, usually it's the truth, but the woman will say um, that she's been, you know, all of a sudden she will then uh, acknowledge having been sexually abused, you know, at some time. Usually it's uh, sometime in childhood, you know, uh, and this, I mean, I guess you could say this was (laughs) teenhood in any case. Um, but, you know, as an excuse to the husband to explain why she is not interested in sex. Right, right. And, you know, that's interesting that that's the case of how it came out here, was her saying, oh, well, really the first time she had been discussing this was in therapy and all the rest of it with her husband. And it's one of those things that is interesting because at the point at which she was discussing it, as I had mentioned before, it was just after the New Yorker first voted Brett Kavanaugh for a Supreme Court seat. And yet when Brett Kavanaugh was very public, you know, traveling with President George W. Bush as a close White House aide, you know, being nominated for a federal appellate seat that was hotly contested, it took three years for him to ultimately be confirmed and all the rest of it. It wasn't as though he was out of the news or that someone in her position wouldn't have spotted him making these different career moves. And yet the first time that she raised these concerns publicly or privately by her own admission was at the point at which he was, his name was being discussed as a potential Supreme Court justice. And interestingly, when she first approached the Washington Post trying to get attention all on her own and they ignored her, she didn't actually use Brett Kavanaugh's name in that encrypted message to the Post that's published in my book, Search and Destroy. She just said potential SCOTUS mm-hmm. nominee. You know, she said that it was someone who could be on the court, very clearly making it known that mm-hmm. this is why this matters is because of his position, not because of who he is. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, I know that we have to, uh, that you are being called in 50 million directions to, be, to talk about this. Um, I just want to remind people again, my guest is Ryan Lovelace, and his book is called Search and Destroy, Inside the Campaign Against Brett Kavanaugh. And I know part of why you wrote this isn't just about Brett Kavanaugh, but also to make the point now um, so that when more of these kinds of things happen, as they undoubtedly will, more kinds of um, um, bogus campaigns against the next Supreme Court justice that President Trump uh, will pick, or uh, well, a nomination, a nominee that he'll pick, um, that we shouldn't be surprised, that we should expect this kind of dirty politics. <laughs> right, right, and what to look out so for. Thanks. Well, thanks so much. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Again, that's Ryan Lovelace in his book. To hear more of uh, what he uncovered, search and destroy inside the campaign against Brett Kavanaugh. And we will continue talking about Brett Kavanaugh and some of these issues and Me Too and 
and all of this uh, when we continue. So stay tuned. the experts call toll free right now 1-866-472-5787 and ask our all-star team to answer your questions that's 1-866-472-5787 thank you for calling voiceamerica.com are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times do you want help then contact dr carol lieberman today at www.drcarol.com Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about all of the trials and tribulations that are plaguing Brett Kavanaugh. He might have uh, not sure how much he thought it was all over when he finally got appointed to the Supreme Court. But um, this is people are set to dog him uh, continually. I mean, now, yes, one of the things that we're one of the reasons why this is particularly relevant is because there is a group of um, Congress people who are trying to impeach him. You know, it's like impeach. It's the new, <laughs> it's the new N word, right? People want to, uh, some people, there are people who want to impeach President Trump, but if you can't get Trump, then get Brett, Brett Kavanaugh. Um, I mean, this, this is just so destructive and in the meantime, while Congress is focusing on who they are trying to impeach, the, you know, the, impe- the impeach star of the week, they are not doing work um, that is more important, such as providing um, help for the homeless, uh, providing, you know, doing, working on um, repairs, you know, bridges and trains, all the things, you know, the... The things that, that are important and that are in front of them should be in front of them instead of them um, having meetings, closet, closeted meetings, to work on who we're going to impeach next to basically destroy the presidency. And part of the reason 
why they are still going after. Um, and there's this new book. I'm not going to mention the title just because, <laughs> I mean, I'm not talking about, in addition to Ryan Lovelace's book, my, my guest from the previous segment, um, there is another book coming out, um, which is against Brett Kavanaugh and which has lots of, you know, the New York Times spread fake news in their story to claim uh, that this new person was coming out and, uh, you know, saying that uh, that Brett Kavanaugh did something sexual inappropriate to her too, Deborah Ramirez. But um, but it's it's to um, it's to kind of set the stage with. I mean, it's, so it's not only about Roe v. Wade in this case. Yes, there are people who are concerned. And to be honest, as I was saying earlier, um, I am pro-choice. I mean, I wish um, I wish that. I don't think Roe v. Wade should be overturned. Um, I don't think that abortion should be an issue again in terms of uh, making it illegal again, you know, reversing, reversing the progress that we made. But it's not just about Roe v. Wade or abortion. It's, this is all the lead-up for the same people who are trying to impeach Brett Kavanaugh. Those are the same people who also want to impeach President Trump. So it's just finding more and more things um, before the 2020 elections, you know, just this build-up to the 2020 elections. And um, so in, in this other book, um, there, are, there are reports, of course, about uh, Christine Blasey Ford, um, you know, claiming that uh, that she was right and she was telling the truth and all of that. And then also some things about this newer person. Now, apparently, um, she did, it's only new. I mean, what's new is that it, there was just a piece in the New York Times that was written by the same authors of this upcoming book, um, these two women, who, um, who bring along Deborah Ramirez in their um, complaints there uh, about Brett Kavanaugh. And, um, all, you know, to, to, it, it, there's so much that is, that is wrong, that, uh, that are lies, that even the New York Times, um, and I shouldn't really say even, because these days, I mean, I'm a New Yorker, born and bred. I love New York. I used to read the New York Times all the time. I used to do the crossword puzzles on Sunday in addition to reading it. And, um, and it really hurts me to have to say that um, they are, have been spreading more and more fake news as time has been going on. The only positive, though, is that they, at least in regard to this new accuser, well, semi-accuser, she's saying <laughs> a false accuser, pretend accuser, Deborah Ramirez, I mean, she's saying that she doesn't remember it now. So she gave interviews to these women who, who wrote the book, and, and there was an article in the Times from these same women, you know, as a prelude to get people interested in the book, of course, and... Um, and so then now she's walking it back. She's not saying that, uh, that she has this definite recollection and so on. So the, but so the Times is, I mean, has made um, an apology, you know, has admitted that some of the story is false. So that is some improvement, at least. Um, but this woman, uh, Deborah Ramirez, 
went to Yale, and um, the the article actually the, one of the women, one of the co-authors of the book that's coming out about Brett Kavanaugh um, is said gave a quote to the Times is to to be a uh, to be a tweet or to be I mean somehow it came out as a tweet. They must have um, shortened a lot of the words, but it, it reportedly was a tweet of some sort. And she wrote this. So, so again, this, the co-author of the book that is bringing all these accusers against Brett Kavanaugh, saying he's horrible and all of that, she wrote this article for the Times, and she wrote as a promotional tweet, having a penis thrust in your face at a drunken dorm party may seem like harmless fun. But when Brett Kavanaugh did it to her, Deborah Ramirez says it confirmed that she didn't belong at Yale in the first place. Well, you know, this is, uh, I mean, that is really just advertising. That's not something that Deborah Ramirez personally said, but it certainly was twisted to make it seem like that. Um, they, let me tell you a little bit more about, about her. Um, the Times article has said that at least seven people, including Ms. Ramirez's mother, heard about the Yale incident long before Mr. Kavanaugh was a federal judge. Um, actually, that quote was in their book. And, um, or I don't know, maybe it was in the Times. In any case, this is what they are saying. Um, Two, and so they, these seven, but these seven people who supposedly are supporting her report turn out to not remember or um, to not be there or um, they, they originally said that they tried to say two of, the, two of the people, two of those people were classmates who learned of it just days after the party occurred, suggesting that it was discussed among students at the time. This is what these authors are trying to say and what the, and what the New York Times swallowed hook, line, and sinker. Um, now, so even Deborah Ramirez, um, first of all, we know or it, it is known that she was drunk at the time. She is a Democrat activist, just like Dr. Christine Blasey Ford. It is not a coincidence that it, she came out with this. Um, she Originally, she couldn't remember if it was Kavanaugh who thrust his penis in her face during this drunken 1983 EL party. Um, and not only was she drunk, but for 35 years, she couldn't remember who exposed himself to her. But then, all of a sudden, just like with Christine Blasey Ford, um, when Kavanaugh was prepared to ascend to the Supreme Court, and after she spent six days with her attorney, a former Democrat politician, who helped her to recall it was Kavanaugh, then her story changed. Now, you know, this is... Um, um, helped her to recall implanted memories, basically. That's, you know, she isn't a therapist, she's a lawyer, but she implanted memories. Um, you know, all of this is really, is really very sad, not just for Judge Kavanaugh, but it is sad for us that all of these lies are being spread for, that, that politics are just getting dirtier and dirtier and dirtier, uh, angrier, more violent, 
even and, and of course combining in some of these cases like what we're talking about today, combining with the Me Too movement, people being angry about that, when you put the two things together, um, it's a very dangerous combination and that's what we that's what we have. But when um, when these people, these five um, Ronan Farrow from the New Yorker spoke to five of Deborah Ramirez's um, uh, friends and classmates at the time, and they were classmates when this allegedly happened, including her best friend, and they all said that Kavanaugh did no such thing. They stuck up for Kavanaugh, which is the same thing as what happened with Christine Blasey Ford's rape hoax because all her uh, so-called witnesses, nobody remembered anything. In fact, they, they couldn't figure out how they could possibly have happened. Um, like her best friend supposedly was at the uh, party that she was at when this happened, supposedly, and the best friend couldn't remember it and said that she don't, didn't think that she would, ha- she would have just let her go home by herself. You know, I mean, that was another thing. Christine Lacey Ford couldn't remember how she got to the party how she got home from the party. I mean, you know, um, yeah, you could say, well, trauma, and sometimes you don't remember those things. Yes, but there was too much that she lied about um, that weren't uh, things that could be explained by trauma. So um, we'll continue. When we come back, we will talk some more about some of these things that... um, Deborah Ramirez claimed and are proving to not be true. I mean, it's a good thing, at least, that these alleged witnesses of both of them are not being corrupted. I mean, some of them, there were some questionable things that happened um, when Christine Blasey Ford was testifying and so on. People kind of changed their stories. Um, But on the whole, they did not support her. And they had reasons why this couldn't have happened. You know, they couldn't um, uh, they couldn't figure out what what place that could have been. There weren't parties like this. Um, they would have, wouldn't have let her drive home by herself. She would she would have told her friend um, that at the party. You know, if this happened and it was upstairs in the bedroom that she was the Christine Lady Ford was allegedly uh, almost raped by Brett Kavanaugh. Um, surely when she came downstairs, uh, people would have seen how distressed she was, and people would have remembered that, and his friend would have remembered that, the friend who was supposedly in the bedroom with him. But, you know, again, the, the real thing that, that what it boils down to, I mean, is other than it, if, other than if it were attempted rape, which I, I, there is no proof that it was, but... Other than that, this is what is happening every day in parties at college and at high school, if not uh, middle school, all over America. So um, it just seems so hypocritical. And uh, Am I saying that that's right? Am I saying that people should get raped at parties or people should get you know, drunk and do inappropriate sexual things? No, I am not saying that at all. Um, but we're not really talking about that because there is no proof that any of that happened. Well, we will take a break now. And when we come back, I'll talk more about uh, these accusations against Brett Kavanaugh, but more also about this whole 
what is happening in our society. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Don't write yourself off yet. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. Um, where we're talking today about women um, trying, well, the current attempt in the Congress to impeach Brett Kavanaugh from his seat on the Supreme Court. Um, And, you know, if you don't think that this, all of these things, that this this talk of impeachment, Trump, Kavanaugh, all of this, if you don't think that this is affecting you um, or your children, uh, you're wrong. Because all of this affects all of us in that um, it makes us it makes us feel very unsettled that things um, happening in our government, you know, like who's minding the store? Um, uh, it, we, it makes us feel le- it makes us feel very insecure about whether how protected we are, how um, whether the people in power know what they're doing. Um, whether, you know, um, uh, it's just, it's just very, very, um, very, you know, and yet we're supposed to kind of go on around about our business and, um, and, uh, and not, and not be bothered by this or not be affected by this, but it does affect us no matter which, no matter what political party you, um, 
belong to or believe in, just all of this discord, all of this anger, all of this um, this um, political correctness, in addition, uh, you know, I'm thinking of sort of another thing that's kind of somewhat related, but just um, there was someone who just joined the cast of Saturday Night Live, and they dug up some videos of him... Um, He's a comic. He's a he, he's a um, a stand-up comic, and which is why they were going to hire him or did hire him actually for Saturday Night Live because he was a good stand-up comic. Now, in the past, um, when political correctness wasn't quite as crazy as it is now, um, he made some jokes about. Uh, they keep mentioning Asians in particular, but really it was about um, a lot of minorities. And has did if you look back on videos or, or you know live performances or of of pretty much any comedian, you will find. I mean that was what made or that you know, I mean what was that what was made fun of in the past and which okay certainly one could say it's not nice to make fun of any minorities, um, but. On the other hand, um, you know, there's a way to sort of take it in stride. Uh, so anyway, he was fired. In case you didn't hear, he was he was fired. Now, it's just that this is happening all over. Whether it's whether it's um, Supreme Court justices, I mean, you know, in a way, I guess you could say that he was uh, this this man whose name escapes me right now, but I was hearing all about him yesterday. Uh, I, I wasn't familiar with him, really. But um, he he was impeached, in a sense. He was uh, fired. And um, this whole rush to judgment and this whole... Um, that's what makes it so easy to make up things or distort things. I mean, you're gonna, you could say, well, make up. There are videos, you know, where he's making fun of minorities. Okay. But back in the day when he was doing that, that wasn't such a such a bad thing. I mean, you know, back in the day, did, let me, did you ever do anything back in the day that you weren't um, that you would be embarrassed about today? Uh, I can't think of anything that I did, but <laughs> that's because I'm not thinking very long right now. But um, but really, I, how much should we be held? Uh, and fired or impeached for things we did back in the day, if we even did them, you know, and especially when people can't remember what we supposedly did. So all of this is just getting so confusing and cloudy, and and you, this is what courts are for. I I testify um, that this is my day job, being a forensic psychiatrist and expert witness. And I have like 10 cases going on at a time and in different stages, you know, um, first the discovery phase as the case is being worked up and then I examine, do a psychiatric evaluation of the people. So like, for example, in the Christine Blasey um, allegations, if that had been a real case where she sued Brett Kavanaugh, she would be, I would be examining her. She would have to come to me for an all-day exam uh, which would consist of me asking her questions about her whole life, 
from, you know, the time that she was born, if not how her parents met, I usually start with that, um, I get a whole background, any kind of childhood illnesses, adult illnesses, uh, jobs, uh, every, everything that you could think of about your life. I do it from, for 12 hours, 10 to 12 hours. And uh, what, was, what was the most uh, traumatic thing that happened to you in childhood? I ask about abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse, and uh, neglect. Um, every single thing, that, psychological thing that you could kind of think of happening or experience that you would have, or your jobs, all the education, how did you like first grade, what happened in first grade. I, go, I cover all of it. So then, and then I write a report, and I give psychological tests during this evaluation, and um, I write a report, and I ultimately testify. And this is in a trial that would be taking weeks. Not somebody, it would, as I was saying earlier, it's not like someone who has a real accusation of a sexual assault or rape. They don't just get up in front of the courtroom and tell the judge, hey, your honor, um, this guy almost raped me. He did it at a party. Uh, he and his friend, we, they took me upstairs, yada, yada, and, and he almost raped me. And then the judge would convict the person. I mean, this would not happen. And yet it essentially almost happened. It did happen in the minds of the people who were watching the Senate hearing. did happen with Brett Kavanaugh, that they just believed her because she's a woman and she said so. This whole thing about being a woman and saying so is, is such a dangerous, has become such a dangerous trend, and there is already a backlash that has begun, and it is going to get worse. This is what courts are for. This is what evidence is for. You have to prove these things in a court of law. You can't just go spouting off about them in the media or at a Senate hearing. So we need to, like, chill, folks. <laughs> That's my suggestion for the day. We need to walk back our judgment. Unless you're on a jury and you're hearing all the evidence for weeks and weeks, you need to walk back your rush to judgment, and you need to ask yourself whether you, it's really true what you think about that person or whether there are things in your own uh, life and your own past that make you believe that way and make you want to impeach or fire the person and say that they did something that maybe really your father or your uncle or a stranger did to you when you were a little girl. Well, I know this show is very controversial. You're all going to be throwing things, <laughs> throwing things at your phone or the computer or whatever. Not all of you. Some of you who don't agree with this, but at least it made you think. <laughs> So thank you for joining me on Dr. Carol's Couch. And again, let me remind you of the name of the guest that I had on um, because that seems to be a very well-researched and deep book. His name, again, was Ryan Lovelace. The book is Search and Destroy Inside the Campaign Against Brett Kavanaugh. And again, it's, this is not just about Brett Kavanaugh. This is a foreshadowing of things to come, which are going to get crazier and crazier, and we have to all have our feet on the ground. So thank you for listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 